grateful to have walked through this text over the last uh, several months. It sort of has anchored our hearts uh, in Jesus and his identity. And whenever we're going through trials and, and struggles, it is so important for us to find our anchor and our hope in Christ and him as our foundation and life. And so uh, this morning, I would like to uh, just read the text and uh, then we will be uh, hopefully encouraged by God's word. Uh, last week we had John chapter 20, and we uh, had the resurrection and new life in Christ, and that we have a new life in him. The new normal that we have as Christians is a new normal of death no longer having mastery over us, but a new life in Christ. In John 21, after Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way, Simon Peter Thomas, also known as Didymus, or the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, what, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, uh, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals where with the, where, uh, there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It is full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered me, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. 
Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that. He would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that this testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word to all of creation. That Jesus is alive, that he restores a He restores a relationship with Peter. He restores a relationship with us. God, this grand invitation to come and follow. And we thank you that this word was written that all might believe and come and know Jesus as Messiah and Lord. And so, Lord, as we gather our thoughts from the last several months walking through this together, would you truly bring us to the point where we can trust and we can follow and know that Jesus is Lord. And we may not comprehend everything, and we couldn't comprehend everything that could be written about Jesus, but we, we can know this, that Jesus knows everything and he knows us, and he still calls us to him. And so this morning, Lord, help us to hear, help us to know that you're with us, that you care deeply for us. We love you, it's in Jesus' name, amen. It was the year 250 A.D. There was the Roman Empire has, uh, has greatly expanded itself in the entire world. There is a new ruler in town. His name is Decius. Everybody say Decius. Decius. All right, that's fun. Way to participate. This is good. All right. And so Decius... Uh, he is the new ruler, he's a young ruler, and there are things going on in the Roman Empire that are uh, disrupting his power. He is, uh, he is taking over uh, a situation that is filled with economic duress. There is a, uh, what is rumored to be a pandemic that is taking lives, and there is uh, civil unrest growing, there are people who, there's a bunch of infighting and taking over a situation where it seems like he's losing grip and control. And so Decius comes up with a plan. And his plan is to unify the nation and strengthen it and build up the, uh, the Roman Empire. Does anyone know his plan? That's all right, I'll do a pop quiz later. Uh, you didn't need to know that. I didn't know it for the majority of my life, but this is fascinating. He decided that he was going to require that all citizens of Rome would have to sacrifice to the state idols of the Roman Empire. And so there were, there were idols that they wanted to appease, 
but also it was a unifying thing to bring and rally everyone together. And so Decius issues the decree. Now, if you're a citizen and you go and you sacrifice to the idols, you would receive a certificate. You get a certificate that says, you did it, way to go. Way to unify uh, and appease the gods. Because in their mind, in the, in the ancient world, if the gods were upset, then that's when the pandemic comes. That's when there's civil unrest. We need to restore these things. We need to appease the gods. And so it was a sort of rallying cry, and you would get this certificate. How do you suppose Christians felt in 250 AD? Now, Christian, Christianity at this point is only a couple hundred years old. It's still young, but it is growing in its power and influence. It's not just a bunch of ragtag disciples hanging out uh, in the wilderness anymore. It is full-fledged, and churches are around uh, all throughout the empire. If you were a Christian in 250 AD, you had four options. Option one, run away. Think about what you would maybe decide. Run away. That's option maybe one. Option two, recant your faith. Recant your faith and sacrifice to the idols. Show your loyalty to the empire instead of Christ. Option three was for you to stand firm in your faith. And risk, uh, and risk your life, they would kill you. This is the first empire-wide persecution of Christians. Before 250 AD, it was all just in clusters throughout the empire. It was small uprisings and, and small isolated. This is the first global uh, or empire-wide persecution. And Christians, if they would stand for their faith and refuse, they would be tortured and they'd be killed. And option four, and if I'm honest with myself, this is probably the option that I would go with, is there was a black market of certificates. <laughs> they, were, they had forgeries, and they would say, yeah, I got the certificate right here. That's probably what I would go with. And that's a, that's a real thing, like it happened. In 251 AD, Decius is no more... And this decree is no more. And there are Christians who have done all four options. They've turned from their faith. There are Christians who ran away. There are Christians who stood firm and they were tortured and some of them died. And there were Christians who all had, uh, Christians who had the forgeries and lied. And they were all coming back to church. They were all coming back, and I had a question. What did the preacher preach when they all came home? What did the preacher say when there were people in the room that disagreed on how they handled the present situation? How did they navigate the hardship of knowing that there were people who turned from God when I myself was tortured and I was hurt? How did I feel when they simply ran away, yet now they want things to be just back as they once were? How can things go back to the same when someone that I cared about died? They wrestled with this. 
They wrestled with their faith. They wrestled with unity. And so I want to know, what did the preacher preach? Cyprian, thankfully, had his sermons recorded. It must have been on MP3 back then. I'm not sure. It was just a little before the iPod. So, And Cyprian, this is his message. His message is to say to the congregation that the world will throw its turbulence waves at us, but we are a rock that stands firm, and it will not destroy us, and it will not break us, and we will not fall away. And his message is to stay firm in your faith, to stay steadfast in your mind, fixed on Christ, and stay devoted in your spirit and your heart, and to never give up. I think Cyprian still preaches today. Keep your mind fixed on Christ. Stay steadfast and devoted to Him. Don't give up. Let your spirit stay strong in Christ and and in Him. Peter sent us a pretty good example. In all of those areas, there are times where Peter stands strong. Moments later, he falls. There are times when Peter runs away and times when he comes back. And our story this morning is a time after Peter ran away and he denied his loyalty to Christ three separate times. And Jesus sits on the beachfront with them and they enjoy a campfire together and they enjoy a meal together and then they go for a walk. And Jesus asks him three times, Do you love me? And each time he says, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I have deep affection for you. I care for you as though you are my brother. You know I love you. And then he is broken at the third time because he realizes Jesus knows everything and he knows just what happened as I, as, uh, when he denied him as Jesus was uh, being arrested and, and persecuted and under trial. Jesus, he knows just exactly what happened. And Peter suddenly, in an overwhelmed moment, realizes just how much Jesus knows about him. And Jesus starts his church the way every church begins. And the word that Jesus starts his church with is forgiveness. That he offers forgiveness to one who has run away from him and denied him. That he offers forgiveness for those who recant their faith and they fall away. He offers forgiveness for those who have doubted. He offers forgiveness for all of us. And for Peter especially in this moment. And, he's, and Jesus is basically what he says is, if you love me, then I want you to care about people. I want you to care about God's people. I want you to shepherd them. I want you to care for them. I want you to feed them. I want you to be with them. I want you to go and love people. What I have felt, I am certain, is a shared experience of frustration and anger and doubt in every aspect of life. 
And it has been so incredibly hard and so really easy to doubt in God and feel frustrated with Him and wonder, God, when will this be over and how can we get through it? And there are times where I felt like standing firm. There's times where I feel like running away and just hiding. There are multiple times where I just want to hide under my bed. But it's a mess and I wouldn't fit. And there are times where you just want to close your eyes long enough that you can wake up and you say, okay, all this craziness is over. And the real frustrating thing has been that we put together a plan. And we put together a plan and we're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then it moves and something changes. And it's like, well, okay, let's redo it. And then you go after it and it moves. And you think, okay, could you just leave the target still a little bit longer? Stop moving the target. And it's so aggravating and so frustrating, and it finally dawned on me this week in praying over our text that the target has never changed when Jesus is your Lord. When Peter is restored to ministry, when Jesus is restored in a relationship, when Jesus is restored, or when Peter is restored by Jesus to follow him, He says, follow me, and his target is this, care for others, care for people, care about your church family, care for others. It never changes. When Jesus is your Lord, your call is to love other people. The target hasn't changed. Our attitudes might have our discouragements might have come, our frustrations, our own uneasiness about what's in front of us, all of those things in place. But what hasn't changed and what can't change for a church is loving others. And when we express that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we are also commissioned and called to go and love others the way we love ourselves. Jesus says, Peter... I know everything that you've done, but I care so deeply for you. I want you to care about other people. And I know it's frustrating, and I know life is not how we desire it to be. And if you're like me, you have felt like the target has moved 20 different directions all in a matter of one week. But as Christians... Let's remind ourselves that we fix our minds and our hearts on Christ Jesus. And when we do that, we, when we fix our hearts and our minds on Him, then we know that we also know what our target is. And it's not moving. It's to love people. And how we love people might be different. How we were accustomed to doing that may, may have changed. The goal and the heart behind it are the same. So my challenge to you is to say, maybe you have felt like those Christians did in 250 AD. And the wrestling match might be, 
the wrestling match might be, well, how do we all fit into this, and how do we get along, and how are we unified, and how do we walk together? And the plan to me is very clear. The way God starts his church is the same way he starts again, and it's through forgiveness and it's love. It's reminding ourselves that we care about other people far more than we care about ourselves. Peter, when he denied Jesus as his Lord, what was his primary concern? What was Peter's primary concern when he denied Jesus as his Lord? It was himself. And when Jesus restores him, what becomes his primary concern? Jesus says, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. He says, follow me. And so I want to stand before you today and remind you, follow him. Follow Jesus. Love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourselves. That will bring us together as we bring ourselves to him. Follow him, seek him, trust him. We will face more pressures, but as Cyprian says, keep your mind fixed on Christ, steadfast in your faith, and devoted in spirit. Don't give up. Be encouraged that Christians long ago wrestled with so much now they are facing, and now we face challenges today. But the winds and the waves of this world will crash up against the church, and we are given the promise that the gates of death will not prevail against God's church. So we hold on to these promises to know that we can stay strong and firm, that we do not live in a world where we are vulnerable to death, I bet you'd like to know the title of Cyprian's sermon. I'm trying to remember it myself. <laughs> His message was titled, On Our Mortality. And his message was to remind them that Jesus was risen, that he is Lord and he is King, and death will not be victorious over God and his people. You can have faith and trust and know that Jesus is Lord and King and he cares deeply for you. And we can stay strong in our faith and know that we are unified in him. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the hope and salvation we have in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we... We're grateful for the faithful ones in 250 A.D. who stood firm, stayed steadfast in their faith and walked with you, who stood for truth, that Jesus was Lord, and despite social pressures, the difficulties around them, Lord, that they stayed faithful, 
and they stayed true to you. And Lord, so we come to you with confession knowing that we have at times doubted, at times given up, at times walked away, at times we're frustrated. But Lord, give us the faith like those who went before us. Give us the faith of Abraham to leave behind comfort and to trust in you. Give us the faith of David who returned to you in his brokenness to know that to find you as a loving father and everlasting love. Help us, Lord, to have a faith like Paul that would face trial and persecution and walk faithfully with you. Lord, help us to have a faith that says we follow Jesus no matter what. Build up your church, Lord, as we return and slowly come back together again and return to you. Lord, we could point fingers at differences in opinions. We could point fingers at how things are handled. You call us to follow you. So help us to turn our attention off of ourselves, offer our desires, offer our independence. And fix our eyes on you and follow you and turn our hearts to you. We love you. We thank you for your forgiveness, for restoring Peter. Restore us. Draw us near to, it, to you. Lord, we know that you know everything there is to know about us and all of our brokenness and all of our sin and all of our anger and everything that has come between us and you. Uh, if you missed communion on Sunday morning, you had to show up to church on Sunday night uh, if you missed church in the morning because um, I operated under the fundamental belief that my sins weren't forgiven unless I had uh, the bread and cup uh, that day. Um, I, I don't think that's true. I mean, uh, if you want to think that way, uh, no. Uh, but it was just, it was never explicitly said, uh, maybe it was a time or two, but that was just how I felt. And when I think about communion now, and coming back to and partaking in it together again, we should restore to our minds what this is, and what it is for. It is to remember Christ our Lord, crucified and resurrected, offering us the forgiveness of sins and the gift of life in Him, eternal life in the kingdom of God. When we partake of it, we partake of it in such a way that declares Jesus as Lord and King. And it's not a sacrifice, it's not a sacrifice to the gods to appease the nations. It was the sacrifice of our Savior to show us the way of his kingdom, to invite us in to life in him. There is life for us in Jesus Christ. And when we take of the bread and we take of the cup, we are reminded of the self-giving love of God who pours out his life. That though we are broken, though we have fallen from him, he is calling us to him to have life in his name. Would you remember Christ together? And for old time's sake, let's say together, for as often as we eat this bread 
and drink this cup, we show the Lord's death until he comes. You can take it when you're prepared and ready.